watering the crops, breaking shots, cleaning the mops. The last time I played golf, I was 15 and ended up knee deep in mud. And I just thought, you know, this is not, this is not relaxing. This is not for me. So. always hard to come talking that trash. We'll pull your card. We're both in and out of the old guard. And Scotland Yard, we won't disregard. Welcome to iHeartPCA. This is a podcast where we're talking about what's good in the PCA. The PCA is a TLA, three-letter acronym for the Presbyterian Church in America. My name is Doug Servan. I'm one of the hosts. I'm sitting here in Oklahoma City up in my office and looking at two dashing gentlemen. One of them is Justin Edgar. Why don't you say hi, Justin? Hey, guys. Glad to be back here. Where are you recording and where are you from, Justin? I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico, recording from my uh, counseling room here. Great. I was going to ask you today, before we get to our distinguished guest, who is a church planter in California, who has his own podcast and was involved in radio in college. So we're going to get to him any second. But first, I want to ask you, about you grew up in New Mexico, right? I did. And were you an athlete in high school? Were you an athlete in high school? I was. And what did you, what sport was your sport? Basketball was my sport. Were you good? Uh, yeah, I was okay. I could have maybe uh, played some small college basketball. Okay, that's what I want to ask you about. Yeah. Because, Justin, you love sports almost maybe one of the most of any people I know. And you have a college athlete son. I do. So tell me about him and what he does and what that does for you as a dad. Yeah, so my son Jed is a football player at Wheaton College. He is an offensive lineman. And um, he was... Uh, really good in high school here in New Mexico. New Mexico doesn't have like a lot of huge, uh, it's not a big athlete producing kind of state, but uh, he got a lot of uh, division three offers, a couple division two offers and uh, decided that Wheaton was the place for him to play. So he didn't really play much last year. He played on the JV and got three snaps on the varsity. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. My daughter, Anna, my youngest daughter, Anna, I have four kids. She just signed to row at Seattle Pacific. So she signed her letter of intent on Wednesday night. She's going to go up there in the fall. And then my other son, my youngest son, third child, Drew, he rows at Cornell and so I have two college athletes and, you know, I always wanted to sign a declaration of intent to play sports in college, but I didn't quite get that far. Yeah. It was funny, Doug, that our son did not want to do the whole uh, public signing deal. So he signed later outside the, the signing period. In Division three, you don't really have to sign a letter, but most athletes do do that symbolically, like they make a big production of it. 
but Jed did not want to do it. We tried to encourage him to like do the signing day thing. He just, he wouldn't do it. So we never had that experience. It looked, it looks pretty cool as a parent. Um, I know it was emotional for you, right? It was, I don't know, really rowing is such a hard sport and I've been really proud of them. It's, it's, we have a great rowing facility in Oklahoma city of all places. It, we have a like perfectly straight river that was man-made and wonderful new facilities and it is a hard, 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 hard sport. Well, I went to college at the University of Missouri, and I played basketball. And so when I showed up in 1989, Mizzou basketball was at the height of, I mean, it, could, it couldn't be. I've seen a lot of number one ranked teams at Mizzou, and I was trying to get Norm Stewart to put me on the team as a practice player to raise the GPA of the team. <laughs> Um, but I did not ever succeed in that endeavor. Storm and Norm, man. Storm and Norm, yeah. Anthony Peeler, your favorite player. Oh, man, broke my heart. AP broke my heart many times. We'll, we'll get to that story maybe some other time. Ah, got so many. I know, he was a Laker, yeah. He was, yeah. And those 90s teams that pre-Kobe post-Magic teams. He was a pretty good Laker, too. Yeah, he was. I enjoyed his game. Great. Well, uh, Justin and I reminiscing about sports in college that we didn't do and celebrating our children who are actually doing it, which is cool. I want to now introduce our friend Bryce Hales. So, Bryce, welcome to iHeartPCA. Thanks for calling in from California. Why don't you tell us who you are, what you're doing a little bit, and then we're going to get into how you entered the PCA. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. This is fun. I am uh, sitting actually in my closet slash uh, recording studio in, uh, in our house in Orange County, California. Uh, I'm a church planter about uh, four years into uh, planting Resurrection OC in South Orange County. And um, uh, yeah, Southern California native, I actually, um, it's funny, I've lived most of my adult life elsewhere, but the hospital where I was born is actually about two miles from my house here. So planting this church was kind of a uh, homecoming in some ways for my wife and I. So, uh, Bryce, where did you go to college and then how did you get to seminary? And I don't think you grew up in the PCA. I think you're an outsider like right. I am. Uh, so how did that all happen? What's the story there? Yeah. So I, um, you know, it probably even need to back up a little further. Um, so when I was seven years old, my parents got separated and my dad moved out of our house and was for the summer. Uh, I don't know where he lived. He was gone at the end of the summer. Uh, my parents decided that they were going to try to make their marriage work. And my mom, one of her conditions was that our family had to start going to church. And neither of my parents were believers at the time. But um, I think she just thought that it was kind of a good moral thing to do and it would provide some stability. And uh, we had neighbors that went to a uh, pretty big, you know, this would have been uh, mid-late 80s, and uh, pretty big kind of Southern California megachurch. Um, and we started going there. Um, my parents still go to that same church. I mean, it's been over 30 plus years now. 
so that's the church I grew up in, became a Christian, uh, kind of through Sunday school youth group experience there. And, um, but, but church was always kind of like, it was like my social life. I felt like I got along more with, uh, Christian friends than school friends, church friends, more than school friends, but it was sort of like soccer practice, playing guitar, going to the beach, uh, go to youth group, uh, until my junior year in high school where, uh, kind of through a series of conversations with my youth pastor, um, just basically came to the conviction that if Jesus really rose from the dead, that that's way more important than going to the beach, uh, playing soccer, playing guitar, that kind of stuff. Um, and through, uh, really mentoring with my youth pastor at the time, uh, well, I guess experienced a call to ministry, as a gosh, what, like a 16, 17 year old, my junior, junior year in high school. And so then when I graduated high school, went to Westmont college, uh, which, you know, is a Christian liberal arts college in Santa Barbara. Uh, all freshmen at Westmont have to take an intro to Christian doctrine class. And about six weeks into that class, I accidentally became a Calvinist through the teaching of a free will Baptist professor who just, explained, you know, kind of the five points of Calvinism. And my, my church um, background growing up was not, um, I wouldn't say it was anti-intellectual. It wasn't like fundamentalist in that sense, but it was not, you know, theologically oriented. And I think I didn't realize it, but two things, I was kind of starving to death intellectually in my faith. And I was just really ready to be angry about something. And, um, and Calvinism just provided the perfect answer to both of those things <laughs> as a, as a freshman in college. And, um, you know, so I, he, my professor wrote up tulip on the board, explained what they meant. And I went back to my dorm room and looked up in the concordance of my NIV study Bible predestination took me to Ephesians one and two. And I'm like, well, case closed. And then I just went around like beating people over the head with it. I'm still apologizing to my parents and my in-laws for stupid things I said when I was 18, 19. Um, but that was sort of my entry into uh, reformed theology and uh, got an internship at a PCUSA church um, that I, I worked there for a couple of years. Um, and that was, that was a good experience. Um, and then I also... Um, so as I'm having this kind of theological conversion, my youth pastor uh, was having a similar experience and he gave me a copy of Michael Horton's book, putting amazing back into grace. And so I read that, but it was, um, it was really strange when I got to the end because I think he's changed this in the, in the subsequent edition, but in the first edition, the last chapter of Horton's book talked about two ways to grow. It talked about um, baptism and the Lord's supper. And I was really confused because I read this whole book about, you know, um, God's sovereignty and election and how biblical uh, these concepts are. And then he got to this idea of infant baptism, which clearly, uh, you know, we all knew was just a holdover from the, you know, medieval church or something like that. And it, it just kind of rattled around in my brain for a couple of years and I didn't really think about it um, but I, I would say I actually kind of was loved into a, a pedo baptism kind of position just through the church and through That's great. 
sort of, I mean, theologically, art, theological arguments, but I would really say like witnessing infant baptisms was sort of the, the thing that kind of dropped the penny. It really seems like one thing the world needs more of is angry 18-year-old newly found Calvinists. I mean, I, don't, I just don't know if we've got yeah. enough of those. I know. It's funny because I think I was like a forerunner because this was like the internet was very new um, when I was in college. There were, there were not people becoming Calvinists on the internet when I was in college. So um, I might've been the wow. first one. I don't know. And then you tell me about how you went to seminary and then got into the PCA. Yeah. Was that, was that so, RUF? Uh, well, it kind of, um, so senior year in college, um, I, we, my wife, uh, girlfriend at the time we were engaged, started going to, uh, there was a new ish PCA church plan in Santa Barbara where Scott Bridges was the pastor and uh, we started going there, and then uh, Ashley and I started dating when we were 17, and our parents had forbidden us from getting married before college graduation. So we got married like three weeks after graduation and moved to Pasadena because we needed to pick someplace. Neither of us had jobs yet. And we got this apartment and moved to Pasadena and got back from our honeymoon and started looking up in the phone book at the time looking for a church and there was a new PCA church plant that had just started meeting that um, Mark Kuyper was planting. And so we were part of that um, kind of er the early phase. We were in the first group of members at that uh, church. Um, but yeah, we were already kind of beginning to look into seminary. And so we took a year kind of post-college to, uh, to work. And then we moved to Edinburgh, Scotland and, um, Cause that's what you do. Right. I went to the free church college, uh, for, uh, for seminary. We were there for three years, but, um, at the part of the impetus, I think a couple things, mostly we just wanted to have an adventure and, um, Ashley wanted to go to grad school and we were looking at programs where she could study English. I could go to seminary, uh, in a, in, in a kind of English speaking country that, that narrowed down our options fairly quickly. And, um, and so, yeah, we lived for three years in, in Edinburgh and, uh, I, I mean, that was just a incredibly formative experience, um, for us. Uh, we, we were there, um, uh, kind of during the height of the Iraq war and, um, George W. Bush was reelected and, um, while we were there and, it was just a very interesting time, regardless of your personal political convictions, a very interesting time to be an American living overseas because it was kind of for the first time, maybe since World War II, where it's not just a given that everybody loves America. And so kind of um, just issues of culture and gospel and ministry and contextualization um, were kind of thrown at me when I'm studying theology in a really great, you know, theological environment, but perhaps maybe uh, less helpful on the practical theology side of stuff. Did you get to go to the open? Uh, the uh, the in uh, in St. Andrews. Yeah, or any of the British Open. Yeah, yeah, uh, I did open. not. Um, I did not. No, it's too bad. Sorry, not a golfer, Bryce. Uh, my dad's a big golfer, and. Um, and you, hit, you would never do the thing your dad. It's do. not. Yeah. It just golf was a fairly traumatic experience <laughs> for me. Uh, kind of, 
the last time I played golf, I was 15 and ended up knee deep in mud. And I just thought, you know, this is not, this is not relaxing. This is not for me. So, <laughs> yeah. We're going to take our first break uh, to hear from our sponsor. We're getting into Bryce's teenage trauma, sports trauma, and his travelogues. And then we're going to come back and uh, pick up where we left off, talk about RUF and church planning and podcasting. And we got a whole bunch more. So stay tuned. See you back in a second. iHeart PCA the podcast is brought to you by White Blackbird Books, a group that's also trying to promote what is good, important, beautiful, and believable in printed word. You can look up and order titles in paperback and Kindle on Amazon. Listeners should consider The Almost Dancer, a book that deals with promise, heartbreak, love, and faith. It's written by Jessica Ribeira, and you'll love the ballet parts even if you don't love ballet. And Everlight and Dark, written by Elizabeth Miller Hayes. The book's subtitle is Telling Secrets, Telling the Truth, and Elizabeth does both honestly and brilliantly. Order your copies, give them a read, and write a review. iHeart PCA is also brought to you by the NFL Draft. Welcome back to iHeartPCA. We are talking with Bryce Hales. And so, Bryce, you and I met in the mid-2000s, but I don't remember because I came into RUF in 2001, and I think you were a couple of years after that. So can yeah. you just tell us how you got into RUF? I don't know if our listeners know what RUF is or stands for, but I remember thinking, hey, here's someone else who didn't grow up in this denomination either. That's yeah. cool. So yeah. tell us about how you that happened. So post seminary, I uh, I, I had a uh, I did a, I was an assistant pastor for a couple of years, and then um, thought I was moving towards church planting. Went through assessment, did a church planting apprenticeship uh, at Harbor Press in San Diego. And during that year, when I was doing that, the economy collapsed 0809, and we just thought we weren't ready to plant a church yet, and it, it wasn't the right. Uh, kind of economic climate to do that in either. And um, so somehow I kind of threw a back way, backwards way, um, heard that uh, Sam Wheatley, who was pastoring a new song in Salt Lake City, uh, was wanting to see a, a, a RUF, Reformed University Ministry, start at, um, at the University of Utah. And I had always been aware that there was this thing called RUF that seemed really cool where you take a college, you know, you take an ordained pastor and put him on a college campus to minister to college students. And um, I'd actually uh, reached out to uh, RUF a couple different times, um, being from Southern California, thought, you know, maybe maybe they want to start RUF at UCLA. And that never really uh, moved forward. But so this University of Utah opportunity came up and I kind of needed a job. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just, it just fit. And so I came into RUF as kind of the, the first RUF meeting I ever attended was the one I started. I mean, I had no experience. And so, uh, yeah, I think, you know, Doug and I, Doug, you and I kind of connected over some of that because for so many campus ministers in RUF, you know, they came through RUF as students and kind of went through seminary maybe as a result of that. And, um, 
Yeah, it was, yeah, it, it was a great experience. Um, How did you like Utah? Oh man, I love Utah. I, I, sometimes I wonder why we left. I mean, Salt Lake city, it was just a beautiful place to live. Um, you know, one of the things I've realized about myself is I just don't do things the normal or easy way. And so ministering in, in Utah, like I loved it. It's such a, it's like a, it's a, it's a problem that nobody else, nobody has really figured out a solution to. And so just figuring out kind of outside the box approaches to ministry, um, was fascinating. we saw a lot of students come to faith, um, while we were there. And, uh, yeah, two of my kids were born in Utah. Um, we loved living there. It was wonderful. I love Salt Lake city too. It's one of my favorite cities. I also love Edinburgh, but I think Salt Lake city and the whole Mormon culture is super interesting. And it's also interesting if you're in Salt Lake city to see what the people in Salt Lake city think about everyone else because they don't realize yeah. they think so differently from everyone else. It's just a very fascinating. Strength. Yeah. It's a really interesting place. I mean, we used to talk about how Salt Lake is kind of this microcosm of where our country is actually headed because uh, you have, you know, kind of a culture that's dominated by a, a religious group that is not Christian. And then you have this like very secular backlash against Mormonism and, you know, that's, that's really where we're headed as a culture. I mean, the, the city of Salt Lake is only like 20% Mormon at this point. And so uh, most of our, you know, friends who weren't Christians, neighbors, um, you know, are very kind of outdoorsy mountain people, very secular in their kind of uh, outlook. So a fascinating place to do ministry. And plus, it's just beautiful. I mean, I got to ski every week. Uh, missed that. Where's your favorite place to ski at in Salt Lake? Well, my favorite mountain is, is Powder Mountain, which is about an hour north out of Ogden. Um, incredible mountain, but Snowbird uh, of kind of the more local Salt Lake spots. Yeah, Snowbird is a cool, cool spot for sure. Oh, uh, yeah. Amazing. Did uh, Growing up or being in Utah, uh, I, we were there for 4th of July one year with uh, friends that we had there. And uh, we, they called it the warm up to uh 4th of Pioneer July was the warm up. Yeah. To Pioneer yeah. Day. Pioneer Day is the, uh, the end of July when the, uh, the kind of the celebration of when the Mormon pioneers arrived in the Salt Lake Valley. So yeah, 4th of July is okay. But Pioneer Day is, is, is the bigger celebration in Utah. But 4th of July was like way more fireworks, way more flags, way more people out, like, doing stuff than 4th of July in my experience here mm. in uh, New Mexico or even Texas. Like yeah. it was crazy how, yeah. I mean, the fireworks were off the chain. Amazing. And then my mm. name, my buddy was like, this is just, this is nothing, nothing compared <laughs> to what will happen in a few weeks at Pioneer Day. And I just could, I couldn't even fathom that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a very patriotic state. Definitely. Yeah. So Bryce, when did you then switch from RUF to church planting? And tell us a little about your church and what it's like to be a church planter in the midst of crisis. Not your oh, man. crisis, but <laughs> how are you doing? And tell me about church planting, about your church. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think a lot of college pastors have the experience of um, college ministry is great and it's really intimate uh, in the sense that you're kind of just doing a lot of one-on-one ministry with students. 
but after a certain number of kind of laps around the track, it felt like I was having a lot of boyfriend, girlfriend conversations and, um, that I might struggle to continue to have compassion for students if I had to do that too many more times <laughs> and, um, started kind of having this itch for, uh, for the next challenge. And so, uh, never really thought that, uh, I would find myself back in Orange County and yet through a variety of circumstances, God led us back to, uh, basically kind of where my wife and I grew up and, um, called us to plant, uh, resurrection OC. And, um, man, it's been a wild ride. Uh, I don't even know how to summarize church planting other than to say, uh, it's really hard work. <laughs> um, you know, our church is, um, I, I think we're trying to do, um, sort of a, uh, um, gosh, I don't even know how to succinctly describe our church. We're trying to contextualize, um, you know, a sort of winsomely reformed ministry in the land of mega churches. And we really want our church to be accessible for somebody who grew up at, uh, you know, at a, at a more of a mega church kind of environment. Um, but we also want to be who we are. And so uh, one of the things that I, I, you know, sort of reformed Presbyterian PCA uh, type people. And so one of the things that I, I really love about our church is that often if I get somebody who's like an elder at another PCA church who's visiting, uh, he'll come out and say, Oh, that was really good. It was kind of, it was a little bit more casual than I'm used to. And, uh, you get somebody who grew up at, you know, we're right down the street from Saddleback and somebody who grew up at a church like that would come out and say, Oh, we kind of liked it. It's a little bit more traditional than we're used to. And okay. That's, that's, that's a good place to be. Um, so as you minister to those folks in the OC, like, what does that look like for like our, uh, you know, New Mexico, Albuquerque, Next to OC, next to Las Vegas, probably Nevada, uh, you know, 25% of all churchgoers in my city go to a mega church. And it's like 30% in the OC, 35% in Vegas, I think. And so those mega churches cast a, a, a long shadow over our city. So we have several mega churches that cast a big shadow of our city. Yeah. Um, not, not just negative, not negatively necessarily, but just they they influence so much. And so what does that look like for you in the OC ministering there? How does that shadow get cast and how do you, you know, live in the shadow, so to speak? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know that I have great answers other than to say that like, that is a lot of what has made, um, not, that's not the only thing, but that's partly what has made church planning really difficult. Um, um, you know, I think that, you know, I think big churches do a lot of great work, but there, there can be a tendency to foster a consumer attitude, uh, an approach to church. And so, um, and, and really that's just true of, of like Orange County in general. So there's a reason why mega churches have flourished in Orange County because contextually it works with the culture. Um, and, uh, I mean, we, we've, I feel like we've struggled with that, um, quite a bit, uh, the sense that, I mean, one of the things we've, we found is that often, uh, somebody who discovers our church in the first six months is just 
kind of this, oh my gosh, this is so wonderful to hear the gospel of grace week in and week out and to uh, kind of soak in the sense that my worth isn't caught up in what I'm doing. Um, and, and, but then as a church plant, you could, we kind of want to turn that corner and say like, Hey, this is great, but we really would love to see you join us on mission here. And, um, and often that's a hard turn to make for people where, you know, we're kind of going, okay, you've been the recipient of this ministry and that's wonderful. And, but we also want you to join us on this mission as we reach out and kind of hospitality to love and serve our neighbors. Um, you know, sometimes that goes well, sometimes that doesn't go as well as we would want. Bryce, you uh, started something a couple of weeks ago. I found out about it. I don't know, but I don't know when you started it. So why don't you tell us about your podcast with Brad, how we can find it, what it's about, why we yeah. should do it. Give that a little plug. Yeah. So uh, Brad Edwards is a uh, fellow PCA uh, church planter. He's in Boulder County, Colorado. And uh, Brad and I have just kind of developed a friendship over the last, I don't know, 18 months, two years, something like that. And one of the things I think we've connected over is, um, well, just being church planters in Western contexts. And, and I find that often when I've got a question uh, about something going on, that Brad is kind of the, the, the kind of person who's bumping up against those same questions. And we've just kind of found an affinity over over some of those things. But what's really interesting is that, you know, where he is in Boulder County, it's more, it's kind of leans very progressive. Um, And where we are in Orange County, California, it leans more to the right of the political spectrum. And so we've had, found ourselves having a lot of conversations around the influence of secularism. And one of my kind of big aha moments in the last six or eight months has been, that there's actually a right-leaning version of secularism that, that we're uh, experiencing here in Orange County. And I, I tend to think of secularism as this kind of urban progressive movement about people just kind of, we don't need God in our lives. But I'm also finding in Orange County that there is like a right-leaning version that's not as concerned about social justice, but it's driven more by, you know, kind of the economic concerns, the pursuit of material comfort uh, and so Brad and I were having conversations about a lot of those issues. And then when the you know, COVID-19 crisis hit and shut things down, we were talking about really how it's just exacerbated what, whatever was already in people's lives and hearts. And I don't know who said it first, but we were talking about this. And, and one of us just said, we should start a podcast. And so um, instead of figuring out how to do that and do it well, we just said, let's just go for it. And we hit record and started talking. And so uh, our podcast is called Everything Just Changed. Um, A friend of mine actually said to me the other day, he's like, my pet peeve is when people say this changes everything because it's such an overstatement. But but really everything has just changed. And so we kind of wanted to ask the question, now what do we do and how do we maybe see this crisis as a uh, kind of God-given opportunity um, to, um, uh, well, to do many things, but, but maybe um, to uh, recognize the kind of secular impulse in our lives uh, for what it is that we've, um, 
both in in kind of progressive and conservative ways, tried to live lives of human flourishing without God at the center. And so we're just having conversations about uh, what what do these opportunities look like? And so uh, I think we've got five or six episodes out at this point, and um, you can find us on Apple Podcast or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever else you, you get your podcasts. I really appreciate the podcast. I've listened to several episodes and thankful for you guys talking about those things out loud. And I'd encourage everyone to, to find those and listen and like them and share them as well as iHeartPCA. Yeah. And yeah. we're all in this together trying to figure out what to do and how not to like destroy each other in the midst of it. So please do that. Uh, we're, we're grateful to you. I'm going to turn it over to Justin for the last question, and then we'll fade out here pretty soon. So uh, I have two questions. So not just one, Doug. Sorry about that. And the two questions have to do with places that you've, you've lived. So I'll ask you the simpler one first. Uh, since you're an OC guy, uh, Christian and Jay split. I don't know if you saw this. You know how oh, I'm talking man. about. I feel I'm 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 I feel like I'm gonna disappoint you. I like I'm you're gonna have to give me a little more context to catch so, me. So you know, here. Christian Cavallari, right? OC on the OC, that you know, the uh the, the the reality show. And she married Jay Cutler, the NFL quarterback. No, okay, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't I don't even <laughs> Come on, man! You are in the OC. How are you going to contextualize? Man, we know, have uh, had a we have had a a real housewife and uh, and family at uh, uh, you know not as regulars, but kind of participating in some of the stuff we're doing ministry wise. So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'll, I'll that's okay. I'll let it go this time. My uh, my second question has to do with uh, if you you know this pandemic has caused lots of shortages around the uh, world with different food items at your grocery store. So if you lived in Salt Lake, you uh, might have a very good chance of having a cold room or what do they call it? Uh, yeah, I don't know what they call the room, but yeah, just the kind of the, the storage, the supplies yeah. that Mormons yeah. keep on hand. That's right. You would have a, you know, some cold storage room, right? Uh, yeah. In your house for the end of the world. And so what would be the items that would be stored in your cold storage room, Bryce? What would you Just and Ashley like, make sure you had on hand for the end of the world? Oh, man. I mean, I would want to have like a, a side of beef in there. I mean, one of the things that's been great, uh, I guess, um, since this happened is I've sort of done the grocery shopping because we kind of figure like send one person out into the potential infection zone, right. not swap everybody. And so I've been, you know, able to, uh, to, uh, you know, pick up a, a beef roast or, or something like that. Every time we've had a lot of bacon. Um, I mean, just so much bacon. I get like packs and packs of bacon every time I go to the store. Have um, you picked up any hobbies like since this thing started? I mean, we have, uh, You've obviously started started a podcast. Yeah, we started that. a podcast. Uh, I mean, I'm a woodworker and, and maker. Um, and so I uh, actually the first Sunday when we live streamed our service, but I don't think I think churches were kind of the school we meet in was shut down. And so that's why we live streamed the first Sunday. And I think uh, we had it wasn't like a full shelter in place mandate yet. 
but we knew it was coming. And so I got up early Monday morning and went up and bought a bunch of, of walnut hardwood um, because I figured if I was going to be stuck at home, I'd build some furniture. And so uh, I built a mid-century uh, kind of console table that goes by our kitchen or by our couch in our living room. And Good job, Bryce. That's gonna be hey, a let win. me ask you one last question, and then I'll let you go. What do you think about the SEC as a football conference? Uh, one of the things I discovered as an RUF campus minister is the only way to survive uh, staff training is to engage in conversation about the SEC. And I, if I'm honest, I probably didn't know what the SEC was the first time I showed up at, uh, at an RUF staff training. Um, I mean, I've just never been a sports guy. I did, I, I, I did get pretty passionate about Utah football uh, and still continue to be as a result of our six years in Salt Lake. Well, Bryce, thanks for coming on with us. Really appreciate you and your friendship and your work. I also appreciate uh, what you and Brad are doing with this podcast. And your wife has a book about the suburbs. What's it That's called, right. Bryce? Her book's called Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much. She's got a podcast also called Finding Holy. Right. So we'll probably have Ashley on at some point. She's wonderful. She wrote a chapter in the Coco book or in the Helos Emanuel book that's coming out. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I can't, I I get them all mixed up, but she's a wonderful author, super smart, amazing woman. Absolutely. And yeah. So shout out to her and we'll uh, regather here soon, soon enough. So Again, iHeartPCA, talking about what's good in the PCA. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thanks, guys. Making a change, finding the strange, feeling deranged on the face with firing range. Rain down like a 9.2 progressive. Overture voting, we like to be guessing. Accused of constantly oppressing. Breaking shots, watering with the crops. Cleaning the mops, cropping the tops. Jesus in Genesis and the demise of the Triceratops. When I ride by these standards, y'all call the Presbyterian cops.